We are studying the book of James. James, of course, we've mentioned him over and over again, who he is. Uh, we've been studying this book since mid-May. And we try to do a summer series sometimes, that, something like this. And we knew when we started James, we needed to start early before school got out, and we're still doing it after school's out, so we're not quite done yet. We have two more weeks in James after today, and then we'll be finished with this series and moving on to a new one I'm very excited about, but we'll, we'll let you know more about that uh, when, when it's closer. So James today, we're almost done, and we're going to read James 5 through uh, verses 13 through 16 today, spending most of our time in 16 but we're going to look at those four verses together today. James 5, beginning with verse 13, let's jump right in. James 5, 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. I love how James just asks this question, and I picture the letter being brought to all the people that were, being, were reading it, all the cities that got a copy of his letter back in the day, or even us today, 2,000 years later, opening it up. Here's a question for all of us. Are you suffering hardships today? Perhaps you're in this room right now, and that's you. You're going through a hardship. It could be a financial hardship. It could be a, a physical uh, health hardship. It could be a relational hardship. It could be an emotional hardship. It could be, I don't know how to, are you, are any of you suffering hardships? If that's you today, hear James when he says, you should pray. I think sometimes when we're going through hard times, we get so caught up and consumed in the problem, maybe even the grief that is brought into our life through the problem, and then are, you know, figuring out how to get through the problem, that we don't take time to remember to stop and talk to God about it. James says you should pray. Going through it right now, pray about it. In, in, include God in this process. Turn to him. If, if, if this, maybe someone today, this was worth the price of the gas you paid to get here today, even if it was just like 30 cents. To be reminded that whatever you're facing today, what, what the best thing that you could do is, is what James is saying. Pray about it. You should pray. Turn to God and say, God, you've been there the whole time. I just kind of got busy and forgot. I could use you right now. Then he says this in the next half of the verse. He says, are, are any of you happy? Maybe you're here and saying, not me. I'm not having hardships. I'm happy. I think life is good. He goes, okay, well, you should sing praises. You should take some time to just praise God and be grateful and just live in that joy and acknowledge him and praise him for what he's done. And what James is saying in this verse is so awesome because he's reminding us that no matter how, how um, good or bad things are going, he's saying, don't forget God. In other words, are things going badly? Involve God. Involve God. Are things going well? Involve God. Just involve him. Because if we can get to the spot where we bring our, our joys to the Lord and praise him when things are good, maybe we'll remember to stay attached to him when things are going bad. If we remember to come to God when things are bad, maybe we'll stay connected. But here's the thing. God made you for relationship with him. You're his beloved creation. He, you matter. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Turn to him. In the good times and the bad, in the mountains and the valleys and the ups and the downs that life can bring us in this veil of tears that we're walking through in this broken world, involve the one who made you for relationship with him and loves you more than anybody. Involve him, James says. Don't forget to look up. Verse 14, he says this. Are any of you sick? 
Are any of you sick? He said, you should call the el- for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, when I read that verse, I realize that there are some people maybe who just, that's, you're not really paying attention to it. But if you've been in church a long time, you may have had some inclination to this. This, uh, this is not a foreign idea to you, depending on your tradition. And maybe if it's new to you, you're like, what is that talking about? Um, that's interesting. But uh, many of you, who've, maybe you've been a, around a church background or have heard of people being anointed with oil uh, when they were being prayed over. And that's the thing. That's a real thing. And it's, James talks about here. So this is where the idea comes from. If you wonder where it comes from, here it is. I mean, you have Old Testament, he, ancient Hebrew stories of people being anointed to be the next king and there's oil poured over them. And, but in, in, in this New Testament Christian church context, here's a situation where James teaches, hey, come to the church if you're sick and let them anoint you with oil. So it's a custom that they had that many churches, in, because of it, have continued. And maybe perhaps you've ever had that be done for you or you've been a part of something like that. And it, it looks different in different places. I've seen churches, people who anointing them with oil means they just pour a whole bunch of oil just all over them. They just saturate them in oil and they pray over them. Some people want that because it feels more whatever. A lot of times what, what we've done in the past is we pray, uh, I'll pray with somebody. I got, some, I got a jar of olive oil in my office right now. I've been pastor for 23 years. I'm pretty sure it's the same jar of olive oil. I wouldn't use it for any cooking that you have planned. I don't know how, how good, I don't know if that stuff age is, is fermented at some point. I don't know what the deal is with that. But it still works for what we're using it for. Um, but we'll put it on a, our thumb, a couple fingers, and we'll, what, what Jesus did in last week's sermon, where they asked Jesus to lay his hands on people's heads and pray over them and bless them. We'll put oil on some uh, thumb, a couple fingers, put our hands on someone's head or uh, and, and or the forehead and just pray over them. Myself, deacons, elders, people will pray over somebody if they ask for that. The thing is, is that that's something we do. If, that's why James says it's up to you to ask. If you want someone to pray over you in a special way, he said earlier, pray yourself. Just pray. But if you want some special prayer, if you're sick, if something's going on that, that God's not answering, come, come get some people to pray over you. And that's up to you to make the ask so that people know you want that because otherwise you'd freak everyone out. And so it says, hey, Arlen, pray for me. I just was hoping, want me to dump oil on your head? Wait, what? what? I don't know what that means. Um, so we don't want to scare you off. But if you want someone to pray over you that way, come see us and we'll be glad to do it. We have the tools to do that. It's kind of like what we do on Sundays when we pray over people on the front for healing or other things. We're just praying over each other. And James says you ought to get around people who can pray over you. In fact, beyond the elders of the church, it's a good idea just to pray for each other all the time. And if you want to be anointed with oil, that's awesome. Just, just step into it. Anyhow, what he's saying is sometimes you can pray to God, but sometimes it takes more than just you to get through what you're going through. More on that shortly. First of all, verse 15. Verse 15 says this. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. That might seem strange to somebody to read that verse together. Talking about praying for a sick person, and also if you've committed any sins, you're forgiven. And it gets confusing because some people always attach everyone's illnesses to someone's sins. In fact, even in Jesus' day, the disciples tried to misunderstand that someone must have been sick because of someone's sin. And that's, the truth is we're all sick because of sin. It's a broken, sin-cursed world. We all are mortal, right? We're all, it's going to get us at one day in the end no matter what. And that's, that's not what this is about. But what a weird connection. Maybe someone's sickness came from something they did to themselves in certain cases, but in other cases we assume bad things. But I think of something different when I read that verse. 
I think of a story that Jesus told, I'm sorry, that story that was told about Jesus back in his earthly ministry. You may remember it. It was a story that's written down in his, the record of his life, how that one day he was teaching a group of people who had gathered together. It was a Sabbath day. And there were people in the audience hearing Jesus who they were there because they wanted to um, learn what Jesus had to say. But there were other people in the audience who were there with their arms crossed to find fault with him because he didn't play by their religious playbook. They were the religious leaders who did not like Jesus because they had their system. And so the, the religious crowd that had their system was crossed arms and finding fault. The other crowd's listening in. And in the middle of it all, some guys carry in a man who was crippled, who couldn't, was lame, who couldn't walk, and bring him in on a mat and for Jesus to heal him. And instantly, Jesus had done a lot of healing. People were like, oh, is he going to heal this guy? And the super religious people were like, it's against the Bible. The Sabbath day is not the day. Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath day. And also, can he even do it? And so there's this whole dy dynamic going on. And Jesus looks at the guy laying there and says, son, now you know what he want, they want him to say, right? You're healed. He's a son. Your sins are forgiven you. And I picture the guy saying like, huh? You know, like just that, that moment where you're confused. What? I, I, that's great. Thank you. That's not what I came here for. Um, but cool. What about the other thing, you know? But, but the whole audience instantly reacted that way. The whole audience is, in the, is gathered and, and instantly people were grumbling. Who is he to say he forgave that man's sins? Like, like what does that mean? He forgave, forgive his sins. Only God can forgive sins. To which Jesus was like, yes, exactly right. Only God, that's who I am. And he tried to show him over and over again through what he said, what he taught, what he did, the miracles, and ultimately pointing to the cross and the resurrection to come as validation that he was the promised Messiah. He's like, exactly. So he hears the grumblers, and Jesus says to the crowd, why are you murmuring? He said, let me ask you a question. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or is it easier to say, be healed, rise up and walk? Well, we all know the answer. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because no one can call you on it. Who can prove it? You know, it's like very intangible. Your sins are forgiven you. Prove it didn't happen, you know? I mean, anyone can say that. Like, we all say a lot of religious mumbo-jumbo that no one can back us on, right? I mean, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you, but it's harder to actually do because we can't actually forgive sins, can we? So anyone can say that, but it's harder to do. But it's harder to say, be healed and rise up and walk. Because then you're going to be found out right away if that really, you can't hide whether that worked or not. And so Jesus said, so that you can all know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Check this out. You're healed, rise up and walk. And the man not only was healed from his condition, but was given a miracle, strengthened his legs that had been used to stand up, pick up his mat, and leave and go, and was healed. And the statement that Jesus was making there that we can see from James here is a reminder to all of us that we all need to remember. That, that is this, that the same God who can bring physical healing can do something better. He can bring spiritual healing to your deepest soul's needs. He can forgive sins. He can, he can take care of your spiritual problems. In fact, if you're a person of faith who believes that God can take care of your spiritual problems, he can also handle the physical ones. It's all the same great, big, wonderful God. Now, 
we move on to the last verse. Um, before we do, I want to say this. Look at the first half of that verse. It says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. When you read that statement, it's easy to look at that and say, is that a guarantee? Like, a prayer like that will heal the sick. So I've prayed over someone who was sick. They didn't get he- healed. What went wrong? I saw someone anointed with oil. They didn't get healed. What went wrong? And, and I think that we, is God, does God's word not work? Do these promises not true? And I think the danger we run into is we, we tend to put um, a statement in Scripture all by itself. Most bad doctrine comes from people taking one statement in Scripture, removing it from the context of the entirety of Scripture, and believing it by itself. So for example, here's an example. In James, James chapter 4, we saw this several weeks ago, James makes a statement that says, you don't have what you want because you've not asked God for it. You have not because you ask not. By itself, that's simple. I ask God, I get it. But James wasn't done yet. The next verse, he says, you ask God and you still don't get it because you ask for the wrong reasons or for the wrong motives. So all of a sudden, the other verses bring it into context. It's not just a whole one statement, cliche, posted on social media, paint it on my wall, God stuck. It's, it's, a, it's a broader teaching throughout the scripture. So throughout the scripture, God says over and over again, he answers prayer. But he also tells us that he answers, that if, he, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And sometimes we ask them for things that, that we want, and God wants to, mom and dad, you get this. You want to give your kids what they want. You want to be good to them, but sometimes what they want isn't what's, what's good for them. Sometimes you can't because you're not able, but God's, not, God's capable more than we are as parents to help our, to our kids. He can help us all. But sometimes even if we can, we, could, we shouldn't do everything they want because they would want something that they, is not good for them. And they don't understand that. Like, why is this not a good request? This is a, makes sense to me. But you're like, I, wanna, I, I do bless you. If you ask me, I'll usually say yes, but sometimes I'll say no and you won't understand, but I gotta be a good parent. And God, who can do anything, comes along sometimes and gives us what we ask for. But sometimes he says, I, I won't. That's not my will. And we don't understand it either. We think we're smart and we don't, we don't think he's right because we don't have his perspective. But we come in faith, and, and you'll miss a lot of answers to prayer if you'll stop praying simply because God doesn't always give you what you want. You've got to trust there's a reason why. He's got a will. And yet there's so much to be had if we just come and ask. Jesus asked in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I don't want it. But he also said, you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. And God's will was not to answer his prayer. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we enter prayer, before we pray, we, we, then we can say, give me my daily bread. We can pray ferociously. We can pray intensely. We can wrestle with God. We can be like a lawyer in the courtroom convincing the jury when we pray. But we should enter prayer remembering that his will be done. And at the end, if God closes our door at the end, we should say, okay, I will accept his will. But there's nothing wrong with praying faithful prayers to a God who answers and trusting him when he doesn't do what we want. And so I had a pastor friend years ago use a statement that he uses that helped me when I heard him say it. And I've been using it ever since, and I've shared it with you before. And it's a prayer you can pray to reinforce your faith. Because that verse says that we, have, we offer our prayer in faith. Faith that God is capable of answering our prayer. Faith in his ability. But it's also a prayer that acknowledges surrender to his will. So it's a prayer of faith and surrender to his will, but a prayer of faith. And it goes like this. God, I know you can. I'm asking that you will. 
God, I know you can. I know whatever I'm asking you for, you can do this. I know you can. God, I'm asking that you will. That's a great way to pray. It acknowledges God's ability. It acknowledges our faith in him. It also acknowledges our faith in him to do what's best. Simple prayer. That's all set up to my, most, my, my main verse today. We're going to spend the rest of our time, which sounds like we're almost done, but don't be fooled. Uh, in verse 16, if, the good news is if you're starving hungry when we're done, there's food next door. Don't have to go very far. Uh, James 5, verse 16 is where we'll finish today. James 5, 16 is where we'll wrap up for a while. It says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I, I want to um, take that last part of that verse. There's two sentences in that verse. The second part, the earnest prayer, or the fervent prayer of a, of a righteous person, has great power and produces wonderful results. That's a great statement. And James is going to take that last statement. He's going to back it up by telling us a story from the history books of ancient Israel that we can read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. He's going to tell us the story that we can read about after this verse, but we're not going to do it today because it's a really awesome story. We're going to do it another week. But it's, you're going to, don't miss it coming up because it's a great reminder of the power of God and the power of prayer and how it helps us in our lives. That's coming up later. For today, we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about the first half of that verse because just like last week where we took a week off from our series to talk about something we needed to do, which was serving, the first half of this verse talks about something else we need to do right now in this season of our church. And we're going to focus on that and finish the next half next week. So, for today, the first half says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's such a good verse. I want you to read it out loud with me. Can we do that? Ready? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let's do it one more time. Everyone, get, everyone jump in. Ready? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What a great statement. Now, what does it mean? Well, confess your sins in a traditional sense. Some of us might think about that, depending on our, what kind of religious denomination we came from in the past, or whether or not we've seen church done on TV a certain way, where you go into a little room and you talk to a certain other human being behind a closed curtain and confess your deepest, darkest secrets to them. Um, and we don't practice that in our, in our faith because we believe that we can turn to one, one man as a mediator between, between God and man, which is Jesus Christ. We return to him for, for forgiveness, not for, to another human. Now, we also believe that when you sin against someone, you should confess your faults to them that you've done against them and ask for forgiveness. We've taught that just a few months ago. But this statement, confess your sins to each other, is not referring to any of that. It's referring to something much bigger, it's referring to an audience that's much broader. And the idea of confessing your sins in context here is referring to more than, like, you, sin is such a big word, it's such an ominous word sometimes. It's our faults, it's our struggles, it's our weaknesses. It's, it's talking in this context about being honest and vulnerable in community with each other. That's the context of the passage. Being honest and vulnerable with each other 
in community together. Because to be honest, if we're honest, we all have struggles. And sin, yeah, sin's there. I mean, my sins are, you know, some days I'm, my faith is strong, some days my faith is weak. Some days I have doubts. Some days um, my behavior's, my, my, sometimes my attitude's wrong. Sometimes my actions are wrong. Sometimes I'm tired and weary and burned out. I mean, we're all frail and, 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 and human. And to be able to come to each other and just be real about that is the secret sauce to the whole thing. Because as we've said before, in fact, if you've been with us in this whole series, James, James addresses this very idea in a different way three times now. In chapter 3, in chapter 4, and now in chapter 5, he keeps hitting the same big idea. Maybe there's a reason for that. And what he keeps saying to us in so many words is this, that we are very good at, as religious people of coming together and putting on a stained glass masquerade, of putting on a spiritual facade that says, look at me, I have it all together. And as we've seen in, earlier in this book, and as, we, as we're reminded of right now, the problem in doing that, the problem in doing that is that when we do that, no one can help us and we can't be helped because no one can get past the fake facade we put up. And we can be crumbling in the inside, but no one knows because we've put on a show. On top of it, not only does it hurt us to do that, it hurts other people. Because then everyone does it, and then people who are trying to be real come to a religious gathering and think, all these people have all their stuff together, and I don't. I don't fit in here. I don't belong. I, I am a weak person of faith. And it's not because the others do, it's because they're putting on a facade oftentimes. And because, so people feel like they don't, they, they, we're unrelatable. They don't get the help they need. No one gets the help we need when we're putting on a spiritual facade to cover up the real things going on. And so what, Jesus, what James has been saying over and over again is this, get real. Just stop it. Like, you know, and, I, and I've been in Bible groups and, and within churches before and study groups where people get together and, you know, they're all trying, especially when there's a bunch of, it's, it's better when they're non-religious people coming together trying to learn about God because everyone's just raw there. When you get a bunch of old Religious people, all pious in their, their own ways, coming together. Sometimes they all put on the show. And so I've been in groups before where you've seen that dynamic at work. And, you know, I have it all together. I have strong faith. I have everything. And then someone finally says something like, to be honest with you, I'm struggling with believing whatever, or I'm struggling with doing whatever, I'm with behaving however. And then you can just see the other people are like, oh, good. There's a relief in some other people's faces. Like, that's real. Until the other pious person says, well, not me. I never have any doubts and I believe. And, I and then everyone else is like, oh, me neither. Yeah, and everyone just, I was just joking, you know. Because who wants to be the, you know, that kind of, that kind of facade is just hard to get past. And it always works best when people get together and they say, hey, Arlen, how was your week? I had a good week this week. That's great. Next week, hey, Arlen, how was your week? Well, to be honest with you, I was stressed last this week, and I was kind of, I was kind of short, and I, I kind of snapped at my wife and mistreated her a bit, and it's not her fault. I just had a rough day. I shouldn't take my problems out on her, but I did because it was a bad week. Oh, well, I understand that. I've done that before myself. Uh, anything we can do to help you? Let's pray for you, brother, right? That's just being real. Or, hey, how are you doing this week, Arlen? Well, I'm great. How are you doing this week? Man, I, my faith is struggling. There's some things in the Bible I have a hard time with. And I, I'm supposed to believe that hook, line, and sinker, but I don't know, man. I got some real doubts about this whole thing. Oh, well, I get that. I, I got some things I wrestle with too. Want to talk about it? Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Just be real. Listen here. When we find others that we can talk to openly about our doubts, 
and fear and our failures and our struggles, we find a place of support and a place of healing. Healing happens in a place where we're real with other people who are real with us. And I've been, look, I've been in my church my whole life. I am over the top weary of the Christian people I've met all my life who always try to impress everybody about what, what a great Christian they are. First of all, you're wonderful, thank you, we nice to meet wonderful people. And then everyone else is like, oh yeah, me too, I'm wonderful too. <laughs> you know? And maybe we're doing wonderful. It's okay to be, you know, things are good. But man alive, folks, who are we trying to impress? We're like, well, if I told people how we really were getting along or how I was really doing or what I really thought, if I confessed that to people, some of them would look down on me or maybe even talk down to me and condescendingly, or maybe they gossip about me. And that's my worst fear. I want to give you all a little life hack that will change your life completely. One of the best things that could ever happen to you is that something happened about you that everyone else gets to find out about or that you confessed so that the people who are going to look down upon you or talk down to you or gossip about you will do so. You say, why was that good? That's the best thing in the world. Because then you figure out real fast who's real and who's there for you. I know no one likes that, but it's a freeing gift. Is it really better to keep putting on a show and don't mess up, don't cra- let the armor crack or someone will then know and then I'll, they might say something mean. Just rip that Band-Aid off. Get around people and just say, hey, this is who I am. And find out the ones who are like, well, I can't believe. Okay, good. Now I know never to tell you anything again. You know, you need to find out who your people are. You can't find out who your people are until you get raw. We're afraid of that. But how is it better to live in in, in non-real out of fear of who might not be real around us than just to figure it out? Look, trust me, you'll survive the pain. What if they gossip about me? Then you'll know not to trust them with any information. So the rest of the world finds out that you're not perfect. Shocker, no one is. The truth is, is that the best thing in our life is to find people that when we get real with them, they might offer us some, some advice and some, uh, some words with humility. They might just offer us a prayer. They might just listen and say, I understand. They might shed a tear. They might just be there. But find people that you can do life with and be yourself, man. Nobody needs, and church does not need any more people who are just sitting there saying, look at me in my glory. It's like the little glow Jesus has in the old pictures. It's probably over my head right now. Um, That's wonderful. Good for you. We all admire you. By the way, for those of you who feel the need to do that, I want to say this to you. People might admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. Um, We can be more vulnerable than that. But I've seen church too much in my life where we don't do that. We can do that. We can be real. When we... Find others that we can openly talk about our doubts, our fears, our failures, and our struggles. We find a place of support. We find a place of healing. I'll say it this way. Find a horizontal community that is vertically aligned. Find a horizontal community that's vertically aligned. What do I mean by that? Horizontal community, I mean people like you, with people with skin on them, real people. Find a horizontal community that's vertically aligned. Vertically aligned does not mean that we all believe exactly the same thing all the time and we all have the same amount of faith and we're all behaving the same way. What it means is this. I find people who are, they're pursuing God. They're, they're seeking relationships. They, they want to know more about and they want that. They might be really struggling. I, I have friends who are agnostic but are starting to say, hey, what about God? And they're leaning in. They're leaning in. Good. Lean in. 
And I'm, I'm your brother. I've been, been I'm a pastor, but guess what? There's things that I doubt and struggle with, but guess what? We can both take whatever faith and wherever our faith is at in life and lean into God, and we can do it together. People are leaning in and saying, I want to know more about God. I want to I see him in my life. People who might be, have behaved differently than each other, have different struggles than each other, different, different problems than each other, different stages of life, but we're just all trying to seek the Lord. And failing, we're all failing at times. But we're all doing the same thing. We're trying to lean that way. Find a horizontal community that's vertically aligned. Because if all of your circles of life are people who just don't care about that, just don't care about God, don't even, aren't even trying ever. It's, you can find community other places, but if all your community of friends, all you ever do is go get drunk together, you're probably not going to have a wholesome community. Right? But if you can get to church and find some people that you can come together with who... Or you can find some believers who you can get together with who bring the best out of you. They're not perfect, but you see them trying to be a good husband or wife like you are. You see them trying to have people faith like you are. You see them doing well and then admitting when they fall and getting back up. And that's what you're trying to do. And you see them, look, people who inspire you, who bring the best out of you, who inspire you to be a better human and a, and a better Jesus follower. Because being around them brings that out of you. Man, we need that. We all need a horizontal community that's vertically aligned. And a lot of times what we've tried to do in the church world is do that through what we call growth groups or life groups or small groups. And um, we love small groups. Now, I've seen churches all over the place do small groups, and we're, we do them here. Um, sometimes it's been a journey to figure out what that's supposed to look like because everyone wants something differently. To be honest with you, and I didn't say this last service, but the dirty little secret is that most ch church pastors, we, we believe in it, we preach it, but we struggle to get a big enough percentage of people to actually engage in them. Like, uh, I was with a group of pastors this week at coffee, uh, and a bunch of them, some had very big churches compared to ours, and they were all talking about the struggle of getting a bigger percentage of their people involved in groups. And that's everyone's struggle. Because the problem is, is we're a busy people. Some people work a lot of hours. Historically speaking, whether you have a church that meets on Wednesday nights for church, or has Sunday school class, or has groups, most of the time you'll find the people who attend those things the most are usually senior citizens and empty nesters. And sometimes if it's a day group for moms with kids that offers daycare for their kids, moms will get together with those. But it's amazing how, hard, how, how those are the easier demographics to get together for extra stuff. And a lot of people are like, I'm running so busy, I can't find time to, you know, put another thing in my life. But we believe that groups are so important that you got to find them. you got to find community. And then the other problem is that once you actually try to work that out and get past, especially busy young family schedules, the other problem becomes... That in that stage, everyone has an idea of what community group should be. Well, I think a group should be studying the Hebrew and the Greek or doing a deep dive into Deuteronomy or at least Second Thessalonians and nothing else. And here's the thing. That's awesome. Bible studies go awesome. It's not the, but here's the thing. There's a lot of ways you can gather, and, and, and that's not the specific purpose of what James is referring to in that last verse. If you want to give us that last verse again, Jody, the last half of the statement there. It's, 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 yes, Bible study is awesome, but it's more than just that. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. We can, all, um, we can all do that, but you know you can study the Bible a number of ways. And I'm a nerd. We have nerd people who in the church world live to nerd out together. We love to just nerd out and we're, we, about Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or something. We could take all the things. Well, actually, you know, um, and, 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 and we do that with our Christian faith also. Actually, 
Um, let's talk about the doctrines of transubstantiation, imputation, amputation, and congregation. I'm making up words right now. And I could debate everybody because I have opinions. And that's great. And I, I could play that game with anybody. I've done it my whole life. But as a lot of our people are looking around saying, ah, I'm just trying to figure out how to stay married. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I'm trying not to raise a couple hellions right now. I'm just doing my best, okay? This is difficult. Give me a break. And, and here's the thing. Groups are like, once you start talking about them, they got to be a certain formula. And I just really believe that whether you can study the Bible, you can study the Bible, you can come to a Sunday morning and hear it taught by me on the stage, go and watch YouTube videos afterwards, or go get a podcast you download and find 10 ways to study the Bible all week long. Some of you do that. You can nerd out all week long in Bible study by yourself even. And you can do that in a group. You can also do that in a group. You can go, you can go work out at the gym by yourself. You can do that in a group. I think the bigger point that James is making here is, is above everything else, get together, get to know each other, and be real. Whether you're going to come and you're going to like find a group of people that's going to train for a hike to climb a mountain one day and pray while you're together and build life together and, and, and be a faith community, or whether you're going to go you know, study Deuteronomy. Do both. I don't guess great. But, but get together. James's point now is this. You come together, you hear the word of God taught, now do some life together. Do some life together. Find a horizontal community that is vertically aligned. And so we, we just try to form some groups. And to be honest with you, it's fall. We had, COVID took a long break from us. And we're trying to get some groups going again. And we have a, we, we've had a few months of people saying, when groups, you know, when groups. And, or, and, and we've listened to the groups that we've been asked for. And summer was hard. People were traveling for vacation. And so one of the groups that people asked for was a ladies' group. A lot of them were, um, you know, again, empty nesters or, or and up. But they were looking for a group. And some were, a couple were younger. Um, looking for another group. We had some younger couples looking for some community with the other young couples and young adults. And, and so we've tried to put groups where we knew there was a need. And if we find new needs and we have enough people interested, we try to add more groups. So we're going to have a couple of groups starting up here in, after Labor Day. And I want to tell you about them right now for a few minutes so that you know what's available. First of all, after Labor Day, uh, in an, uh, the week after Labor Day, uh, there's going to be a ladies group starting up with Joyce Huffnagel. Is Joyce with us here? She was earlier, but she's not here. She's somewhere in the building or somewhere probably. She was here. Joyce is, uh, she's 86 years old now, I think, 87. She's a sweetheart. She's been for years now studying the Bible, loves the, uh, to teach, and she has a heart for people. She's got a good spirit. And she's going to be doing a group um, uh, on Revelations, I believe. And um, that's a topic she's passionate about. And that ladies who's going to be starting up on, a, I think, a, a, during the afternoon and also an evening group, both for different people's schedules in, after Labor Day. So if you're a lady, now if you're a guy, you're like, man, I'm sorry, you can't come. You, you all smell bad anyhow. Um, but um, that's a group starting up soon. Another group that we're starting up after Labor Day is um, Ben and Bethany Cordacracks. Ben's here today. They're torn up kitchen and all that's going on in their life right now. Uh, ben and Bethany are starting um, a group for young adults. And that's because that's another area that we've been asked to have. We've been asked, this has been a, a request for months I've been nagged for. And we've wanted to do it. We just needed to get everyone settled down from the summer travels. So Ben and Bethany are back. They're going to start a young adults. Now, let me say this. I said young adults group. I want to say this to some of us right now. Young adults. What does that mean? Okay, first of all, it means you're adult, which means you're not a teenager anymore. So, like, you know, 19, 20. But it also means young. It means, okay, not young at heart. 
okay? So let me explain this to you in case this, needs, this will help you, okay? I am 47 years old. I have two adult children who are not married yet and do not have any grandkids for me yet, but they're old enough to, they could, I could be a grandpa right now, okay? I might feel young at heart, but I am not young, okay? I can argue for middle age. Some of you who are older than me would say I'm young. That's fine. I, th- I appreciate all the older people that say, you're so young, Arlen. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm not that young. But um, it's, all, it's all perspective, isn't it? But for young people, maybe 20s and 30s and up to maybe four, around 40, depending on stage of life, just a young adults, married or single, doesn't matter, group, we're starting that up with Ben. And that's going to be on um, Wednesday evenings. We're not sure what time yet. Six or seven o'clock, somewhere in the evenings here at the church. And that's going to be, um, that's going to be um, three out of, at least three out of Sundays, Wednesdays a month, maybe four, maybe three and one off, maybe three and one activity day. But it's going to be a group. And I, ben, Ben's a deacon in our church. They're wonderful people. They're going to have this thing going on. See him. And that's another group. This is a far less spiritual. They're going to be studying different things in the Bible together. Um, this is less spiritual than that, but I want to make it aware, uh, you aware of it. Um, because it's fellowship. For years now, you might not have known this. This will shock some of you. I love football. I know, right? And, and I was the first to pastor 23 years ago. We kind of built relationships around football. And um, even though after our church left fundamental Baptist roots that I grew up in and made some moves towards what God was calling us to, some of that kind of dispersed over time. But there's been a handful of us that have kept community together around football. Um, Tim, he's been part of that for a while. Jody up here. Eric was here last hour. A few guys. We, we do a lot of football together during NFL season. We love, love that. Um, and um, it's just been a way for us to connect and do life together. It's all very spiritual, I know. But, you know, I don't love God as much as you do, apparently. I don't know. So anyhow, um, but we would do it. And so we're trying to open it up this year to be a little bit bigger. So we're actually bringing the football games into the, into the dining room here and inviting everyone who wants to just come over and watch football with us and join us. He said, well, what's so good about that? We're getting to know each other is what's so good about that. We're getting to relationships built. And so you're invited to come and enjoy some football with us this season, even some primetime games. We're going to open that up to people going forward. It'll be in the room. I've got some fantasy football leagues in the works and other things as well. And you say, well, Arlen, I just think that that is not an appeal to me. Then don't come. Well, I think you should be studying Deuteronomy. Then you should start a group for Deuteronomy, and I'm going to cheer you on all day long. I might not come to it because I'm, I'm, I've done it before, but you should do that, okay? Anyhow, one other thing I'm excited about um, that I'm excited about is um, I did something. I've written a couple books. Um, I wrote one first, and then we kind of put it on the side because we wrote another one that I wanted to get published first. And it took forever to get all the editing processes done, and all this, this done and that done. And it's such a long process. And finally got done. So my, my first book I wrote is now in the long editing process. So God knows when that will be done. But, my, but, but the book I f- finally finished and is ready is now available. And I have, a, I have, a, I have the author's copy, not the actual final copy here. Um, it's also on the screen. On Amazon and Kindle, Your Story. I'm so excited about this. This is fun. So Your Story is something I taught in church in 2015. And then at the beginning of COVID, we taught a series on this. And I took it afterwards and expanded it. And we wrote it into a book form that has study questions and going deeper and some extra, extra exercises. And I'm really excited about this, con- this content here. So we did it first instead of my book I wrote first. And it just came out yesterday. It's just, just hot off. Like we got the message from yesterday from Amazon saying it's ready to roll. So you could buy it on Kindle. You could buy it here. And I've told nobody outside of a couple of friends like, this has not been announced. I'm going to put it on Facebook in the next week or two. Let everyone know my first of many books, hopefully, will be is available. 
But before I spread the word to anyone else, I wanted our church to know. If you're online watching with us today, if you're in the room, I want you to know. We got a book out there and you're the first to really know about it. Second of all, one of my goals is going to be in the months to come, I want to start a Bible study group for my friends abroad who want to join me on a Zoom class to work through the book, work through the group questions and the study questions and do it together. We're going to have that available as a study group for anyone who wants to be a part of that. And I'll be announcing that in a couple months. But before I do it for anybody else, I want to offer you to be the first guinea pigs. So if you're part of our church family and you want to be a part of a, a study group and you want to be a guinea pig for my first, my first run on this, I'm going to start a group in our church. It'll be on Zoom. So if you're an online watcher and you're like, man, this whole talk today doesn't help me a bit because I'm not there to be involved in Ben's group, you can get in my Zoom group and so can some of you who are here get in a Zoom class with me and we'll do this together. And um, that'll, you'll be the first run at, at, at something I hope to do many times going forward with other people. So that, by the way, uh, also, don't feel free, be afraid to go to Amazon, buy a copy, and leave a review if you liked it, okay? Anyhow, that's that. But anyhow, we just want you to connect with each other. We want you to do life together. We want to confess our sins and pray for each other and find healing. Now, as we get ready to wrap this up, we are working on a couple other options. Here's what I want all of you to do right now, because it's getting late, and i got a few things to do still. Yikes. Thank God the food's nearby. Okay. Um, I want you to do me a favor, even right now in the service, even right now while I'm talking or shortly, take a connection card out in front of you if you can. And, and here's what I want to ask you to do. Either we mentioned a group that's opening up that appeals to you, or we did not yet mention one that appeals to you because of, of uh, we don't have it available yet. Write down on a card what you're thinking. First of all, if there's one of those groups that you could plug into, write your name down, how to contact you. You're not promising on a dotted line in blood that you're going to join. You're letting us know that you're interested in a group so I can get that information to the right person so that you can be notified when the group starts. I can't notify if I don't know you want to come. So write down, hey, I'm not promising on, in blood. I'm saying I'm planning to come to a group this group interests me, or maybe I'm just interested in this group. Write your name down, what group that is. Let us know. We'll reach out to you. Maybe you're here and saying, Arlen, none of those groups are, I want something different. That's fine. Here's the problem. We can only offer what we know is available. Some of those groups have been percolating for a while. And we had leaders for them. If you let us know what you're thinking, and, and you're the only one or two people that want that, we might be able to facilitate it on a broad scale. But if I see a bunch of people looking for something that we don't have to offer yet, we can try to accommodate that. So let us know, write it down, and let us know what you're thinking, and we'll get, to, we'll get it available to you if we can. But we, we don't know until you tell us. You've got to communicate with us. So say, hey, I'm looking for a specific demographic of age or gender, or I'm looking for a certain time of the day, or I'm looking for a certain kind of group. I want a group that studies Thessalonians, or I want a group that does yoga. I don't care what you write. Write it down. Turn it into that box back there so we know what you're looking for and we can follow up with you and see if there's enough interest to form something down the road. But the groups we have are because of interest. So write it down, let us know, and we'll get you plugged into something. Now, you say, Arlen, that's nice, but my busy schedule or none of the, I just, this isn't going to meet my need this year. I want to tell you something else really cool. You... And I are part of a small church. You say, that's cool? Yes, it is. 90% of the churches in the world are under 200 people. So we're in the 90%. And I've learned something as a pastor. The bigger the church gets, the more it has to have extensive growth groups, life groups. It has to. Because the bigger the church is, you're just lost in a huge crowd. So life groups and growth groups are essential in a huge church. 
But in a small church, there's good and bad. The good is you're kind of already one big small group. <laughs> um, but the bad is you can't offer every kind of group. Like if you're in a big church, you could be like, we have a group for ladies in their 20s who are single and like the bears. Okay, you can do that in a big group because there's enough people to draw from to fill that group up. But in a smaller church, you're just like, um, people, you know, just throw them in a room together. I don't know. But the good news is, is our whole church is somewhat a natural small group. And so if you can't do anything else, if you, whether or not you can join a group or whether or not you have time, and even if you do, there's something all of us can do every single Sunday to build relationship with each other better than we do. And I want all of you to write this down. We call it GIFT. It's an acronym, G-I-F-T. And I want everyone in this room to write this down. And you can do this regularly in addition to being in a growth group or in place of being in a growth group. You can do this as well. So write this down. Take a picture of it. Whatever you want to do, make a note in your phone. G-I-F-T. What does it stand for? Well, the G stands for this. Greet someone you've never met before. There are people in this room right now, you've been coming a long time. But there's other people in this room that you've seen them from a distance, but you've never met them yet. You see them, you've never met them yet. Go over to them and say, hey, we've never introduced ourselves formally. I'm Oswald. Who are you? And shake their hands and don't because of COVID, but, I don't know, but just say hi and introduce yourself and, and um, make a connection with someone you've never met before. And we could do that. I, what does I stand for? Introduce people to each other. I do this all the time. I'll be talking to somebody and someone else walks nearby. I'm like, have you two met yet? This is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Hey, introduce people to each other. Get people connected. F, what does F stand for? Follow up with someone that you recently met. Follow up with somebody. That means if you met someone earlier, you go to them and say, hey, I met you the other day and you had a car in the shop. Is your car fixed yet? Hey, I met you the other day and you mentioned a problem. How's that turned out for you? Follow up with somebody you met recently. Check on them. See how they're doing. How'd your son's wedding go? Whatever. And then T stands for thank someone who did something you appreciate. Hey, I saw you working up in the PA booth, Marty and Jody. Hey, I saw you make announcements. Hey, I saw you pick up some paper in the hallway. Hey, I saw you, um, um, you know, watch the nursery kids. Or you smiled when I came in the building. That smile is what I needed today. If someone does something you appreciate, thank them. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to tell you. We can't do all four of those things every week. Like, I can't greet someone new every week. I run out of people pretty soon. You know what I'm saying? But you and I, all of us, can do one of those things every week. I can either greet someone I've never met before or introduce people to each other or follow up with someone I've recently met or thank someone. I can find one of those things every week. And if you'd write those down and follow the GIFT gift model, you can find a way to build relationships in your local church every single Sunday in addition to or in place of groups if you can't get in one. And we can build life together because we need to get to know each other, be real, confess to each other, pray for each other, find healing together in community, find a horizontal community that was vertically aligned together. As James instructed us to do, let's confess, listen, pray, and support each other, and let's experience the healing that comes through community. And please turn a card in to let me know what you want to be a part of or what you're thinking for maybe the future when we can. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's, the, here's the secret. You'll never have a community if you don't build a community. Isn't that deep? That's like Kevin Costner Field of Dream stuff right there. I mean, listen, you'll never have a community if you don't build a community. In, in other words, listen, 
we can sit back and say, oh, I don't think anyone likes me and I can stand in the corner and, and no one really, and, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. But when we stop and we just, because people don't know how to approach someone who's walled off. But when we step out of ourselves and we meet, we do the G-I-F-T gift of, to other people, we get involved in things, we connect with others, we will find a community that we can contribute to and that will build us. But we'll never have one if we don't build one. And, I'm, and, and we can't, I can't, I can offer you programs, I can offer you small groups, we can structure some things at church, we can offer you an acronym. What we can't do is make you feel a part of a community. Some of that's on you. And if you want to have it, you've got to build it. That's on you. And I hope you'll step forward and connect with other people in a special way and find some spiritual health that comes from relationships along your faith journey.